Welcome to Miranda Warnings Roundtable, discussing legal issues and current events. I'm joined on the roundtable by Liz Benjamin and Professor Vin Bonventry. Liz is the Managing Director at Marathon Strategies, a public relations and communications firm, and former host of Capital Tonight, a political and policy show focusing on New York State politics. And Professor Vin Bonventry, Distinguished Professor of Law at Albany Law School and publisher of the New York Court Watcher, devoted to commenting on the U.S. Supreme Court and the New York State Court of Appeals. This week on Miranda Warning's Roundtable, we're going to talk about the Court of Appeals and New York politics. Let's start with the Court of Appeals. We have now in the Court of Appeals an acting chief judge in uh, acting chief judge Canatero. What do you think? You go well, first. I mean, you want to go ahead, Liz? No, I I have thoughts, but I'd like to hear yours first because then I can poop on them. <laughs> sure. Well, uh, what what is accurate is that uh, Judge Anthony Conataro does have administrative experience, right? He uh, he was the uh, the administrative judge ahead of the civil courts in New York City. So, of course, the company line is going to be that that's why he's the acting chief. He was selected because he has administrative experience. Right. And of course, the acting chief is temporary. He's acting until uh, the new chief until is, de- is, is decided, which that- will probably happen by the end of the year. That's right. Well, but doesn't it also mean if you are acting, do you take yourself out of the running for consideration? Is that correct? not necessarily? No, not at oh, all. Oh, interesting. No. So should we assume then that the acting chief judge wants the job? Should we just assume everyone wants the job? I think you should assume nothing, right? I don't think there's any, I don't think that reveals anything about whether he's going to be seeking to be the the No, but when uh, Chief Judge Saul Wachler left the court and then Richard Simons became the acting chief, uh, Judge Simons did put in for chief. He wasn't selected. Judith Kay was selected. So I would imagine Conataro is going to put, who doesn't want to be chief judge of the Court of Appeals? I, I don't know. But, That's a good question. Uh, other uh, Janet DeFiori, apparently. Me? Right? <laughs> I don't want to either, just for the record. But I, I do actually, how, could you just briefly go through how it works? You actually have to formally put your name in? Oh, to, to be the chief judge? Mm-hmm. Well, a- any judge on the court, any position on the court, uh, the Commission on Judicial Nominations uh, announces officially that there is a vacancy or there's going to be a vacancy. Then individuals apply or other individuals recommend people who ought to be considered. Since uh, Chief Judge Judith Kay became the chair of the commission. The commission actually has had quite a bit of outreach, soliciting Mm -hmm. applications from people who are deemed to be um, highly qualified for the position. So that will happen. And then the commission, they get together, they choose some of the applications. They then interview those applicants. Then they come out with a list of seven. They give that list to the governor the governor must select from among that list. And that's what's but, going to And it's to entirely merit-based, right? It's all about merit. It has nothing to do with politics or influence or popularity or any of that. Just it's all about merit. Yeah, okay. That is one of the <laughs> biggest darn jokes. I mean, look, uh, the, the fact of the matter is that, you know, if you just happen to look at what's happened with merits 
so-called merit selection over the years at the New York Court of Appeals, uh, there are individuals that show up on these lists and it's a complete and utter joke. I remember clerking at the Court of Appeals, the lists would come out. And I remember one of the judges, I'm not gonna say who it is, uh, walked into the chambers of the judge for whom I was clerking and said, do you believe this mm -mm 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 moron made the list? And that's what happens. So of course it's very, very political. You know, that, the, gov mm. the governor puts four um, members on the commission. Uh, the chief judge puts four members and the legislature puts four members on the commission. So come on. Okay, of course so it's then, gonna be political. Good, fine. So then where do we get off getting upset as some people in some corners have become upset with the efforts by lawmakers to influence the outcome of the selection process? Yeah, so let's let's talk about that, right? Just to give a little bit back a little bit of background. Uh, there was a letter sent by 20 senators uh to the commission uh suggesting uh the type of of candidate that they should basically not uh, Janet DeFiori, somebody who is not Janet, right? right? They, I mean, effectively an anti-Janet, not somebody they, who used to be a Republican, not somebody who in their eyes is too conservative, or perhaps in Vin's eyes is too conservative, or what have you. They want someone more, uh, you know, like them. Right. It, yeah, and it was sent by twenty Democrats uh, right. that wanted to have someone on the you know, the more progressive side of the spectrum. I think the concern was that there was, there's currently three former prosecutors on the court. Uh, so, so they sent a letter to the, to the commission that makes the determination as to who the seven names right. should be that go to the governor, telling them what their thoughts were on, on who should be selected. And then also one of the senators gave an interview and was even more specific and more acerbic about uh, the current uh, or the, the immediately former right. uh, chief right. and, and the rest of the court. And, I and, that, to, and to that get, senator's a lawyer, if I remember correctly. He's a lawyer. Okay. So, and so I think to get to your question, you know, the issue is, is it political? Yes, there's always a political element to the selection, but this was an overt uh, political advocacy for a particular type of, of judge, which I think raised the concern of, of some. Right. It was is the it illegal? Over... Is it is it is it is it breaking any rules? No, overt? there's absolutely not. And, and to tell you the truth, I don't understand what the problem is. I mean, somebody has a particular view about the court. Somebody has a particular view of the kind of uh, individual who ought to be chosen to be chief judge. Why can't you bring that up? Well, one might actually. I don't have any problem with that. No, one might also argue that the fact that anybody's paying attention, that, that this has generated attention to the Court of Appeals for, for ill or for, for you know, for good is positive because people don't pay all that much attention to them. It's a good yeah. thing to pay attention to that. I think, I think the issue, though, is, look, you know, if you, if a judge writes a decision, it's 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 fair game if if someone wants to criticize that yes. decision. But uh, in particular, the article, uh, not so much the letter, but the article was attacking judges for both for their past experience and kind of painting a picture of who they are in favor of big business, in favor of uh, prosecution. And that's not appropriate. 
a judge. Why that's not appropriate. That, that, that's the to just paint a judge with a with no, a broad brush and no, accuse them but of that of is a the position. record of the current court. Those are facts. If you want to talk about a case and a record, that's fine. But painting a broad brush of a of a judge on the court is not appropriate. I don't know. And putting political the, pressure be, on them is I'll not appropriate. I'll be glad to paint the broad brush. And, and the quite court. honestly, I, the only reason that it was done was because of the redistricting decision. Mm -hmm. uh, well, the judges that were being attacked were the judges that ruled uh, well, against the be, legislature so and the redistricting. Just be, but just to be clear, David, then we can call it what it is, which is to say ostensibly or potentially this is really about retaliation for a process that, again, I, again, this, this, all, this really gets my goat because the idea is, well, redistricting is supposed to be independent and, well, judicial process is supposed to be independent and, well, we are supposed to have a judiciary and a legal system that's independent of that's all horse feathers. It is not the idea that you are going to take an inherently political process like redistricting and divorce it from politics is ridiculous. I think Ridiculous. we're going to have to bleep out the horse feathers comment. Horse feathers is, I was being completely family, careful. I could have family, said. Oh. The family Liz, show. Liz, Liz. I've it's warned a, you about her, David. I, I was being careful. I should have said a lot of other things. But <laughs> horse feathers seems to Can be Can we back up a, a minute, yes, David? Okay. Uh, I totally disagree with some of the comments you've made. As somebody who <laughs> actually. <laughs> And me versus this you, will, David. It never will, happens. This will also be bleeped out. <laughs> I love I you, David, but I think you're absolutely David. wrong about something. As as someone who follows the voting of the judges of the Court of Appeals, it simply is a fact that Chief Judge Janice DeFiori, who you know I love personally, I just love the woman. No, I've some of his good best friends are former chief judges who uh, used to be Republicans. Yeah, no, but. Um, if you look at the voting record of Chief Judge DeFiori and uh, Judge Michael Garcia, uh, they are very, very pro-prosecution. That's their voting record. That's just a three, fact. But also, just to be clear, three prosecutors on the court does not a majority make. Well, why, why is it so horrible to have a, a viewpoint on the court representative of what prosecutors think? Well, I don't think there is anything wrong with that. You would want somebody to have that kind of a perspective, right? You would want that. Um, even as a liberal, I mean, I don't want a bunch of public defenders on the, on the okay, court. Okay, so what's the problem? I'm not I'm not quite seeing it. We're basically saying you vote like a prosecutor because you used to be a prosecutor. You, you err towards no, no, the no. side of seeing things through a prosecutorial no, forget, forget about what they were or what they weren't in, in their former life. I mean, Stanley Fold was a prosecutor. He turned out to be one of the most progressive American judges of the last generation, right? right? So it doesn't necessarily mean that a judge having been a prosecutor is going to end up being pro-prosecution when also, he's on the court. Very, very liberal, progressive minds on that court right now. We, we do? Well, yeah, yeah, we have we have Judge Jenny Rivera and we yeah. have Judge Rowan Wilson. Okay. Yeah, those are two. That's right. So and they're not in the mainstream of the court. They're okay. in 
most of the big cases, they're in the dissent. All, all, wait, but all I'm saying is like, first of all, one might argue you could turn this whole thing on, on its head if the court did this sort of thing, which it doesn't. Because again, remember, this is another little sort of problem. The court is hamstrung. Judges are not supposed to politic, right? They're not supposed to get involved with politics. They get slapped for it. I can think of one in particular from uh, you know, the capital region who is fair, fairly high, uh, pl highly placed and well-known who getting slapped for that. You can run, but you can't run. It's an elected position, That's but right. you can't, right? So, so I guess the point is if the court was able to defend itself, it might turn around and say, you are doing this because you're angry at us of, of an independently minded decision that we made regarding redistricting. So this is all just a wash. Of course they could argue that, but again- but but no, 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 what, what I'm, what I mean is that could be argued. Yes. Right. That whoever is complaining about the court is complaining because uh, they just don't happen to like uh, the kinds of decisions being issued by the court. All I'm saying is there are certain accurate things that can be said about the court. And this court has been over the last few years, very, very pro-prosecution. That's just, just its record. That may be great. That may be bad. That is its record. But also these people have nothing to whine about because at the end of the day, the Democrats, even if they lose seats, which they might, as a result of some slightly less gerrymandered district lines that were drawn as a result of a special master and not the legislature's lines that were incredibly gerrymandered to the benefit of the Democrats, even though the Democrats say that's not the case, they didn't do it because you know they hated it for so many years, they didn't do it, but whatever, they're gonna hold the majority, even if the Republicans take seats. So what do they have to cry about? Nothing. Well, I don't know. They, they don't happen to like the direction of the court. Why can't they complain about that? I don't see any problem with that. They can. You know? They can. And, sort of and you know, there's no that. question about it. The Republicans are going to complain about or they're going to say that, you know, Governor Hochul, you better not put somebody on the court that's going to coddle the criminals and doesn't care about the victims. That's going to be an issue. Well, Governor Hochul has said that there's not going to be any litmus test uh, for her selection, uh, that she doesn't care about their not past a experience. Litmus this, test. Is, this is what she said. I feel like she heard she heard the Miranda Warnings podcast from a couple of weeks ago and you said what we need is some a little more intellectual gravitas in the court. And that's, that's what right. she said she's looking for, a thoughtful jurist, uh, a jurist who's independent and that would elevate the court's prestige. This is this is yes, what she that's said. What she this said. is what the, what the governor said. She didn't say intellectual gravitas, however. No, I said that. That was you. That's our great host. And, and yeah, no, that's brilliant. And I think if she appoints or she nominates, if she nominates somebody like the previous chief judge, Jonathan Lippman, you know, Lippman used to Lippmanize people on the court, right? He had conservatives on the court. He was not. He was very liberal. And yet on virtually all the big cases, he was able to get a majority. There are chief judges who do that. Saul Wachler. I was there when Saul Wachler was chief for a few years. He was amazing a towering personality on that court. He took that court where he wanted to. So a single appointment can change the direction of the court. Well, yes, but look, to undo, we also, I mean, there were stories written about this, but I don't think not enough. And we certainly have not seen 
um, the long-term impact of the number of appointments that the previous governor made and the remaking of the court in the image that he envisioned. That's one of his longest lasting legacies. Will far outlast quite a number of uh, policy initiatives of his, I would argue. Governor so, Andrew Cuomo had a vision for this court? I think he had. I can't figure it out. I think he out. had a political vision for the court. Yes, I do. I think do he I had think a political had... vision for himself. That may and be that's true. why he made the appointments that he made. That's but I don't true. think there is anybody who will seriously say that he really was concerned about the court, qua no, he court, wasn't. like his he... dad was. His dad right. certainly was. His I dad just... actually made a point of appointing yes. Republicans and Democrats because he felt like a mixture of viewpoints on the court was important. Well, well we have I mean, we have a mixture of viewpoints on this court. It's a diverse court. Uh, in many ways, both in thought and in person and in talent. Aside from aside from the redistricting decision, which got a lot of ink and a lot of attention, one high profile case that this court decided over the past 12 months, I can think of only one aside from redistricting. Well, high profile, you mean that anybody follows except Happy for the us, elephant. us court it. nerds? Happy the elephant. Us court nerds. Well, there was a huge Miranda decision at the court, People versus Dawson. No, you know, people may not pick that up unless you follow the court very closely. It's a five to two decision. The majority of the court didn't even sign their opinion. They wrote some ditty little, you know, unsigned memorandum. And you had two judges of the court dissenting, saying, wait a minute, you have this defendant who clearly asked for an attorney and the majority in this unsigned opinion. Oh, well, it wasn't clear enough. You know, you get cases like that or you get the Kiteo decision, which happened to be about the labor law, which is a very, very important issue politically and otherwise yeah. in this state. And you had somebody who was injured severely while he was working on an elevated right in an elevated uh, aspect. And uh, and the court said, well, th that doesn't count. And again, you had, you know, several dissenters saying, what are you kidding? And again, the court majority in an unsigned little ditty memorandum. That's not the sign of a great court. Let's let's move on. <laughs> we just had a we just had a primary here in New York. Right. As a result of the redistricting, the primary was yeah. the primaries were moved till the end of August. Uh, anything that was. Well, uh, wait a minute. Hold on. There were there was a series of primaries in June. There was a series yes. of primaries at the end of August. It was because of redistricting in both cases. The series of primaries in June was the statewides and the assembly, even though then subsequently the court had said, actually, the assembly lines stink too, but we're going to have to send them back for redrawing for the next round because it's too close to this round of elections, but they stink. Then subsequently they said, oh, and those Senate lines and the congressional lines, those stink, but we have enough time. So we're going to move those primaries to August. That's and I th by stink, I, everyone might not understand your Latin. <laughs> by stink, you mean it violated the New York State Constitution, right? Uh, they stink. It's, yeah. It violated the smelly. New York State Constitution. Smelly, according to the court. stinky, gerrymandered lines. And you're right. There was We had uh, a dual system of primaries, the, the June for some. And then uh, Which is the Senate. super expensive, by the way. Do super you know expensive and confusing. Millions of dollars every time we have to do that. Yes. For but now we're year. done. Now we're done with the primaries right. and we can move on. So and the, what did we learn? Yeah, what did we learn from, Come from on. the primaries? So that, it's Liz. interesting. We actually, we it, there were the, there were competing storylines that came out of these two sets of primaries, right? 
And also there was a very important special election that occurred in the 19th congressional district that nationally was the first one that occurred first congressional election that occurred before the midterms nationally that was widely viewed as a bellwether regarding the outcome of the Dobbs case. And the Democrat won Pat Ryan over Mark Molinaro, the Republican. And the Democrats made that whole race mostly 98% about Roe. And it was successful. I am in the minority and disagree as to whether or not that actually is, you know, a harbinger of what's going to happen around the nation, although things are looking pretty good for the Democrats right now. But October surprise, who knows what's going to happen? Because two months ago, things looked crummy for the Democrats. You know, if you look at voter registration uh, figures nationwide, and if you look uh, month by month, the number of women that have registered to vote uh, went up uh, substantially right after the Dobbs decision. And also there was an influx of campaign finance contributions to Democratic candidates around the nation in the wake of Dobbs. But I think more important was the Kansas vote, to be honest, that rejected um, uh, uh, an abortion ban in Kansas. But again, that I think the people of Kansas, the can the Kansas the Kansans, the Kansans, not the Kansasians, the Kansans, I think are a pretty libertarian bent bunch who don't like government telling them what to do. So it's a it's a conservative-ish state. It's certainly not New York, but I think that they reject the concept of government, you know, being like, you know, you can and can't do whatever with your body. I don't know necessarily that was a political indicator in terms of the assembly, the assembly and the gubernatorial, so statewide June primaries, the progressives, liberals, socialist democrats, et cetera, didn't do so hot. They did not do so great in the June uh, primaries. And then people started writing, oh, you know, they were flashing the pan. It was really disappointing for them. There was one upset of a, of significance. It occurred in the Hudson Valley. Kevin Cahill was defeated in a primary, longtime uh, incumbent. Uh, But in the Senate, actually, progressives who were challenged by more pragmatic Democrats who were backed by Eric Adams, many of them, particularly in New York City, those Senate candidates were not successful. So So the liberal incumbents were returned. To me, that's more of a statement about the power of incumbency and less so much the power of progressive politics. Right. But of course, and you're talking about primaries down in New York City, right? Well, more or less. I mean, there were there were there were primaries all over the place, but predominantly the more interesting stuff that was happening in uh, upstate was was occurring in the House. Right. But I mean, you would expect that New York City would be supporting the more progressive candidates, which isn't necessarily telling us much about the rest of yeah, but you would, but there were challenges in June brought by progressives against less progressives, I mean, more more centrists, and they were unsuccessful. Yeah, the, it seemed like the incumbents. Uh, I see. Held yeah. on, right? There was no. But again, because wave. in a low turnout situation, you know, you really get. Uh, it's really hard to take any necessary predictor and and say, well, you know, this was a mandate on one in one form or another because the turnout was so low because the vote is so diluted because you had two sets of primaries and August is like everybody's on vacation. That's right. But what we could expect in the general election when you have the gubernatorial race, we could expect 
uh, a huge turnout, right? Would you expect? Uh, a huge I don't turnout? think it's huge. It'll be no huge as a presidential year. It's an off year statewide. It'll be higher than the primary, certainly. And you do have a really interesting dynamic that is sort of creating that. And there's and there's a law and order uh, argument that's being made, uh, particularly by the Republicans. You know, yes. and it brings in the judiciary on the issue of bail reform, right. which I think that the governor made some statements regarding the judiciary needing to learn their lessons about bail reform, and that kind of made people a little pissy. But there's a lot of public safety arguments being made by the Republican candidate. But on the flip side, he is subsequently aligning himself with a president who, I mean, you know, encouraged, fanned the flames of, liked, whatever. You Former know. president. A former president, sorry, you uh, the former a would guy, be next, a would be former guy. returning president, um, you know, uh, supported the largest anti-democratic insurrection in modern history. So, so I don't see it, how you can make a law and order argument there. So what is this? Is it going to be uh, Governor Hochul? We hate Trump. And then Molinaro. Well, that's what she's trying. We to like do. Trump. Well, Molinaro, no, Molinaro's running, but he's running in a different district. The the gubernatorial candidate is Zeldin. I'm not Molinaro. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Zeldin, yeah. Republican um, from Long Island. Yeah. Congressman. Yeah. So, so he's what not, you're... he's not making, just to be clear, he's accepting Trump's assistance in raising money, but he is being fairly careful. He's not in, in, in certain circles, reportedly, privately, he is saying good things about Trump, but he's not making a public argument about that. She is. She's saying he's dangerous. She's using... Uh, photos from the January 6th insurrection, uh, you know, in ads, she's saying he's extreme and he's, you know, anti New York values, et cetera, all the sorts. Well, of he refused to certify uh, Joe Biden. He voted against won the election. I know. That's right. I mean, come on. I so, mean, what's that? So you're suggesting that the, the issue in the fall in the gubernatorial election is going to be uh, uh, cr- crime and uh, well, the Republicans would like it to be. Yes, but it's going to be a hard one to paint on Governor Hochul, right? Because she's fairly middle of the road on on those issues. She's not to the extreme on 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 those issues. And she'll paint her with the Democratic But the problem is she has more money. She's coming out. She's going to make this about ideology and Trumpism or MAGAism, if you will, and abortion rights and anti-New York values and that kind of thing, right? And she's also going to say, I inherited a state, I, you know, steered the ship well, et cetera, and so forth, even though the budget picture is crumbling before our eyes. But some of that has nothing to do with her. It's, you know, a, a, a global economic problem that we've got, because you could ask Jerome Powell about that. But Zeldin will try to make it more of a referendum uh, on Hochul and her performance and and certainly law and order and the economy and inflation, et cetera. I just, you know, the, it's the economy stupid isn't really playing the way it used to. Well, hey, let me ask you this, because I don't know. Where is Zeldin on uh, the right to choose? Where is he on that? He is How not- hard right is he or or is he just wishy-washy about it? I don't want to misspeak, but he is not he is not uh, in favor of abortion rights. Yeah. I mean, has he come out and he said that he wants abortion restrictions? He has. So he explained his position after the Dobbs leak. And he said that the reality, quote, the reality is the law right now in New York is the law in New York. So the day before the Supreme Court issues its decision, the morning that we all wake up and they deliver their decision and the morning that they after they deliver the decision, if the draft statement becomes the decision, 
the law doesn't change at all. That's what he said, right? But he um, then went on to castigate the Democrats for, quote, legalizing late-term partial birth abortions and non-doctors performing abortions, which is a sort of an old saw. But he also says pretty clearly, I'm pro-life. That's his position. Yeah, so that issue is going to be a loser for him to talk about in the gubernatorial, right? Because he can't, he can't, win over votes in, in New York on that. So the winner for him has got to be law and order and say, you can't trust the Democrats, right? right? Juvenile justice, bail reform, and I don't know what else, you know, but yeah, you got to, but, the, but the, you know, that's traditional Republican, right? Law and order. I mean, that's- Yeah, but it's traditional Republican, but it's also a, 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 an approach that had been embraced with some success by Eric Adams in the in the Democratic primary, a former NYPD um, detect officer. I don't want to get his rank, his former rank wrong there, but he ran on law and order and he casts himself yeah. as a new kind of Democrat. And he's taken, gotten into a public verbal, you know, straggling match right. or wrestling match with uh, Ocasio-Cortez. So, uh, you know, it's not necessarily just a line that Republicans are using. Yeah. No. I, so do, do we think that the Court of Appeals will be an issue in this race? I don't think he's made it an issue thus far, um, but he he could. I mean, again, like we, we get back to the question of um, do do most New Yorkers care? Well, yeah. yeah, and I think that's the issue. I, I don't think it's going to be an issue because for the, the reason that Liz just stated, and also the, the reason that you started out with, the criticism is that, well, half the court is conservative and half the court is is uh, liberal, right? So how can you really cast a stone from one side or the other necessarily? It's It's a relatively balanced court at this point. So it wouldn't seem that a candidate for governor is going to be able to make score many points in that regard. I don't think so. I mean, it's not like the Supreme court where, you know, that is a, some that, well, it was, I mean, now it doesn't matter who gets into the white house because whoever they are is not, are not, you know, going to be able to affect the balance of the court at the federal level in any significant way for many years. But at, George at the, Pataki did make an issue of the court of did. appeals. He, he did. did well, make he also an made an issue of the death penalty back in the day. So, you know, yeah. he made an issue of a lot of things. Well, he, and he did he, well with those issues. He defeated Mario, but not Cuomo, but not solely on the death penalty. It was also about taxes. It was all the, the state was in a different place at the time. He, he, but he did run on a fairly law and order um, campaign platform. He did. It's true. And, and you don't, and I think that's, that's a pretty successful issue for a Republican to be running on in the state right now. I People are really concerned point. about crime in the state, whether they ought told... to be or not. I mean, right. they they really that's really a big issue. But if you polled the average New Yorker, I don't think the average New Yorker would say to you, if you say if you give them an open ended, it's not it's one thing to be like, do you care about the state's high court? They would say yes, because people don't want to look stupid. But if you or uninformed, let's say, but if you give them an open ended uh, poll and say, what are the top five issues that you care about? You know, my kids, my taxes, my job security, my school system, my my health care, my safety. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The yeah. court's not going to be in the top 10. No way. Not no, even no, no. But law and order will be in safety. So gun right. Actually, it's interesting because you have law and order on the one hand. On the other hand, you have gun restrictions. Right. 
So, right. you know, the Republicans can say all they want about law and order, but then they don't want to support gun restrictions. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, boy. There's always stuff, right? I just I would be very surprised to hear, you know, um, Lee Zeldin weigh in on the process of selecting a new chief judge in the state of the, of the Court of Appeals. I just would. And one thing we didn't discuss, and it's it's now been we sort of glossed over it. I mean, we now have an interim or acting chief judge, but for a while they were deadlocked, which I thought was really interesting and spoke pretty significantly to the internal state of the of the body. Well, look at who the senior associate judges are. You I understand. Judge Jenny Rivera, very, very liberal. She's out of the mainstream of the court. She's usually in dissent in most big cases. Then you have Michael Garcia, who's probably the most conservative, right, politically conservative on the court. And I don't know how much support he had within the court. And then you had Rowan Wilson, uh, who, again, is not in the mainstream of the court. He's usually in dissent on all the big issues. Those three were passed over. Unless, of course, and we don't know whether each of those three said, oh, I don't want the job. I mean, who knows? But tradition was broken and the senior associate judge was not chosen as the acting, nor was the second senior associate judge, nor was the third senior associate judge. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's hard to imagine that none of those senior associates would have wanted to be acting chief. Heck, I would have been acting chief if they asked me. Uh, of I, I, they didn't ask you, though, just to be clear. <laughs> <they asked you. laughs> and I'm too old anyway right now. I, I just I, I, I do think there are a couple of things that I'll be watching and, you know, for for future discussion. I think the relationship between the legislature and the, the legi legislature and the judiciary has always been a really fascinating push pull kind of a situation. And, you know, I remember covering Pataki v. Silver, which was the first case I saw yes. argued before the oh, Court yeah. of Appeals. Yes because I'm old and, but not as old as Ben, just to be clear. And um, I can still add, <laughs> lost that faculty yet. Uh, but I, I remember them being very reluctant, you know, although there were some very interesting uh, lines of argument because the question was how much uh, language or policy language the governor had the right to put in the budget. Right. And one of the judges asked, the attorney, well, if the governor wanted to waive the laws regard or the, the laws regarding usage of cocaine on construction sites, he could do that. And the answer was yes, he could. He could modify right. that. Paul Shackman, a great, great lawyer, a great lawyer. Yeah. He was so, asked that and he just came right out. Yes. Yes. He, he could, could put do it. substantive stuff in the budget. Yeah. Correct. No question. So I think there is this session and this letter bringing us back to the beginning of this conversation that we're speaking of regarding the 20 senators and their, you know, very public pronouncement regarding uh, their preference for the selection of the next chief judge really, um, you know, belies, uh, 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 I think, a simmering or maybe growing tension or, or a resurgent tension between the judicial and legislative branches. Very interesting. Well, Liz, I thank you for bringing us back to the beginning. Uh, we're going to let you That's have the last job. word. That's thank my you. job. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Liz, I, I ask a question at the beginning and Liz eventually gets around to answering it. <laughs> <laughs> So that's the dramatic conclusion of this week's uh, Miranda Warnings Roundtable. Thank you. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Thank you. This has been Miranda Warnings, a New York State Bar Association podcast. You have the right to subscribe, rate, and review. 